Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. And I have my special guest, Kamia Factory. She is the president and CEO of the Black Freedom Factory. Kamia, how are you today? I am swell. We are under a new administration. I might be jumping the topic a bit, but I'm I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, so, okay. In the last days, uh, we, we got to go back and look at the last days of this administration because it's been two weeks, but it feels like it's been two years, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think as a person who organized Black Lives Matter peaceful protests? Mm-hmm. What did you think when you saw January 6th? I saw a double standard. I saw um, two my- Americas. Yes. And, and for black people, I saw our lives just matter less again to everyone else. Right. Uh, whoever that might be. So, yeah, it was it was a lot to swallow. I, I remember peacefully protesting and, you know, being sprayed like an insect by pepper spray, uh, being stormed by law enforcement, you know, just having my hands up. So it was disgusting to see that play out. And then to see people breaking out windows, Mm -hmm. people smearing feces, Mm -hmm. and chanting and asking for the hanging of the vice president. Mm -hmm. And at the end of their protest, protest, quote unquote, because that was an insurrection and riot, but at the end of their, their insurrection and riot, to see them helping people down the stairs. I was just like, hmm, what did you think about, did you notice like some of the people that were coming that we were seeing um, who drove from other parts of the country? Did you, what did you think about the number of police officers and law enforcement uh, members who were a part of that? I wasn't surprised at all. If anything, I would have suspected it the way that, the institution and the system of policing functions made it no surprise that this kind of behavior would have been participated in uh, by law enforcement all over the country. So I wasn't surprised because the Black Lives Matter movement talks about that. It talks about how racist and inherently violent these systems are. So I think the biggest thing, though, that came out of that for me was seeing major corporations just not stand with the violence. I know Airbnb made statements about closing, you know, their locations during um, the inauguration because they didn't want any coups inside it again. Uh, So I I really liked seeing that from corporate America. I will say uh, standing on a side of, you know, justice versus injustice. That was great, but it was no surprise that law enforcement was involved in this ridiculous coup. So when when you look at something like this and we think about Martin Luther King Jr. because we're we just passed his birthday and mm-hmm. we're coming up on Black History Month, which I think every day is is uh is black history because we this country was built on mm-hmm. on our labor. We are as much a part of the American fabric as any other people group, probably even more so because of of what we've contributed economically to the viability of the nation. Um, <clears throat> but when you look at today, what do you understand his his dream? What do you feel has been real feel like has been realized of his dream today? That Black Lives Matter, that they always have and they always will. I, I was um asked this question during Dream Week San Antonio, which celebrates, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King's Jr.'s dream. And they said, what do you think he would want to see today? And I said, I would, I think he would want to see justice for Breonna Taylor, 
for George Floyd, for Trayvon Martin, for the names that we have to continuously preach and chant to make sure that their existence is validated. It's sad. Uh, but I think that's the beauty of organizing. Um, I identify as an Afrofuturist. I believe in Black futures. I believe in the future of generations to come. And no system of patriarchy or white supremacy can dismantle that dream. And so I feel that Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, probably felt that way about his dream, too. Oh, I love that. I love that. When we met, I was just like, we are kindred spirits. <laughs> yes. He's like 30 years younger than me. Could be my, you remind me of my younger sister. <laughs> you remind <laughs> me so much of my, my younger sister because she has, she's 24 and she has the same, same like fire in her belly for, for our people and, and what we know to be uh, our value. You know, when when you say something like as important as Black Lives Matter, as important as uh, that, and you know, you want the gravity of what you're saying to be felt by the people that hear it, because that's not a statement that's being made uh, for no reason. It is a statement that is being made to highlight the fact that for some, our lives have not mattered mm-hmm. for police, for many that who, who just see a black life as being expendable. And that's a travesty that anyone would, would categorize an entire group of people and devalue, devalue them. So, you know, I feel like in this time, the thing that I see that, that, is is great within our our culture is that much like uh the the jews after after the the holocaust there was a segment of the jewish population that said never again never again will this happen where we will like sheep go get on on a train and follow the rules when the rules are are, are fervently against us. Um, we're going to speak up and speak out, and they and you see that, you know that historical change and shift in in that people group from that point forward, you know. And I see the same thing happening in our in our group. So I'm, and it's being led by people like you. Mm-hmm. It's being led by the twenty uh, somethings and thirty somethings that have, are just like, we want to raise kids, but not like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we want to, uh, we want to do, we want to have a different life, but not, not a life like this. So what was your aha moment that made you go, I'm going to start the Black Freedom Factory. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to just talk amongst my friends about how unhappy I am about about the treatment of Black people, but I'm going to start doing something to mitigate this treatment. Mm-hmm. So May 30th, the day that I had watched George Floyd be executed over and over again on social media uh, the week of May 30th, and um, I couldn't take it anymore, and I called the city to action. And so I organized the the George the first George Floyd protest in San Antonio. It drew out thousands of people. At the time, I just wanted community to comfort um, each other after what we were seeing distributed all over the media. And so as a result of organizing that protest, I realized that accountability measures needed to be in place in the city of San Antonio. Um, I think local elected officials all over the country were being performative. You saw um, elected officials on CNN with kente cloths with their fists up, kneeing, you know, and it's just ironic because Colin Kaepernick nearly lost his career for kneeing. uh, He did lose his career. He He lost his career for a long period of time. Exactly. And that once again, the double standard plays out. It's it's Black Lives Matter is simply a trend to society. It's sick. It's sick because we we actually matter more than a trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that moment, organizing the George Floyd protest 
made me realize that the city needs to keep up with the things that they promised communities, especially in times of vulnerability. And mm-hmm. with Black Lives Matter trending, you know, all of a sudden the mayor comes out of the woodworks, all of, you know, city council wants to take a stand. They declared racism a public health crisis in the city. And then, boop, you know, once protests start dying down and, you know, things start to kind of just like, I guess, go fuel, back to normal, be less fueled. Uh, Accountability is nowhere to be found. So Black Freedom Factory is here for that. It's to keep up mm-hmm. this conversation. It's to hold local elected officials accountable to the things that they promised us over the summer. So we're dedicated to data-driven activism, communal advocacy, and race relations as it pertains to the city. Uh, and that means conversations about LGBTQIA plus folks. That means conversations about transportation, access to transportation in the city, what that looks like for vulnerable communities, right? Making communities more than a statistic, actually valuing their individual experience. Uh, and so that really birthed Black Freedom Factory. Unfortunately, the loss of a life of George Floyd and many others mm-hmm birth the need to keep talking about these lives. And so I'm so happy um, to, to run Black Freedom Factory. You know, I, I, I like the fact that you, you all are, are calling for accountability. And when, when, you know, as somebody who works in public health, when I see a statement like racism is a public health problem. Well, for every public health problem that we have, we have a public health action plan. Right. For kidney disease, I can pull up the public health action plan that I have created for my organization mm-hmm. and for the state of Texas for kidney health. So just as we have a public health action plan for kidney disease, for all other chronic illnesses, chronic uh, problems within our system, we need the same thing for racism. Mm-hmm. What's the public health action plan? You know, one of them certainly should be uh, drumming out the likes of the people that we saw uh, on January 6th right. who are in, in the police department. The mm-hmm. Continuously up until January 6th, we heard the same argument. It's, it's just a few bad apples. It's not a systemic problem. It's just this, it, you know, it's just like this guy over here and that lady over there. And it has nothing to do with, with how, how this is, uh, how policing is done. It's not being fueled by this, this uh, poorly planned policing. Uh And then we saw, we had January 6th, where these police officers from all over the place came in to storm the gates on the Capitol. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or We can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Had they been successful, what would we be experiencing right now? Because they, their goal was a very incendiary, terrible goal. Mm -hmm. And anyone who does not see that as being 
treacherous and traitorous, <laughs> a you know treacherous and and traitors. I, I just don't understand how we can can look at it and not see that there is a bigger conversation that has to be had, and that we have to sit down and get to the meat of what's going to be done next, because. It, it's not that now we have a new administration and all of this goes away. There were still 70 million people that voted for this person. And I don't believe all 70 million people, you know, support white supremacy, but certainly there is a proclivity amongst a, a, a substantial faction of, of that group that does. So how do we deal with this? You know what? What are the what? What are we planning to do uh, to address the first steps? In your opinion, what are the first steps that we, as a city that's a majority minority city, we really have the opportunity to be leaders mm-hmm. in changing? Uh, the the scope and depth and breadth of this problem and addressing it with some 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 thoughtfulness. Um, I would say reimagining the future. I think that we get super lost in titles and systems and institutions, and we get comfortable in the way that they work. But the only reason that we have a constitution or an oath are because we need to constantly ratify that process. We need to be honest about where things fall short and are not okay. And so conversations about defunding the police, not letting it get caught up in this stigma. What defund the police means is the reallocation of funding. It's not a topic that is um, unfamiliar to society. Taxpayers literally fund these systems and institutions Law enforcement are public servants. So breaking down the conversation into a way that it's not a left or a right issue, it's like humanity. These are basic human rights. People should not be shot uh, when it's a mental health crisis call. Uh, Just the basics of the way that these institutions function is something that I would say reimagining that. The decentralization of power structures. Often police forces uh, answer to a chief what about alternatives to that method um, and funding and where that could go to other parts of the city that could use it? Paying attention to grassroots efforts that are doing the work. Folks who are actually listening to their communities and valuing their experiences like the Black Freedom Factory. Uh, that is something that I would highly recommend. Something else that I see with Joe Biden in office is he's signing orders left and right. He's undoing things that have been done under the prior administration. Uh, such as a land back, uh, you know, making sure that pipelines that were running through native reservations are being reversed and stopped. That kind of work goes a long way, especially when it was four years in the making. So keeping up with the damage that has been done in order to repair it. But healing is a totally different conversation from this Mm -hmm. nation because we suffer from mass genocide efforts. We suffer from xenophobia. We suffer from so many facets of violence that it's really important we also keep our eye on that and evaluate our healing process in um, the future. You know, I I hear all of the things that you're saying. Mm-hmm. When I think, you know, there's been a, a lot of debate about the messaging. Because uh, as soon as you say something like defund the police, that shuts everybody down. Right. You know, um, when I look at at the black, at the the relationship with the black community and police, I see um, a good example of how to do this in Camden, New Jersey, where they reallocated funding, the very thing that you're talking about. Uh, And a police officer's job was to walk his beat. So his job became, because they had a a terrible problem with with, um, 
trust, community trust. There was just no trust within the community for for uh, the those that were policing the community. And so, uh, you know, they show up to a crime scene and nobody saw anything because people didn't trust that they could, could uh, they didn't trust who was showing up, didn't trust that, that the confidentiality wouldn't be <laughs> violated, you know, just all sorts of things, many things, you know, multifaceted problem. Um, and after an, another incident uh, where a black life was taken, then then uh, they revamped their system. It's probably like, uh, I want to say like five years ago, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's actual data that supports the very thing that, that you're saying. I just think that the messaging, when you say defund the police, it's not the right statement the the concept is a good concept police officers should not be asked to go and take care of a mental health crisis they're not equipped to do that there has to be so and and in the camden new jersey model they had uh the officers walk their beat and just get to know people your job wasn't just to go in and uh police people when they did something wrong but it was to get to know people so that when something did go wrong, you were trusted enough that that a person would confide in you. I saw a blah, you know, or whatever happened. Um, so they they did that. And then they brought in mental health professionals <laughs> to help and answer calls that were that were mental health related because no one if somebody is having a, um, a a mental break, they shouldn't be seen by, you don't show up to a mental break with a taser with, you know, most police officers are showing up with three weapons, a taser, a baton and a, and a gun. Well, none of those things should, should be utilized in a mental health situation. Right. You know, so they, you know, I, I, I like, I, to me, if we're, if we're patterning ourselves after something, look at that. At, look at that city. Camden, New Jersey is a great example of, of what can be done mm-hmm. if you want to do it. And bringing up the, the number of, uh, as soon as you get the number of African American, police officers on the force above 35%. Statistically, the number of issues with race began to decline immediately. Once those, so practical things like doing exactly that, looking for uh, qualified African-Americans to be a part of the police department looking for uh you know creating a mental health division i mean this is not not uh rocket science we can do better than this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I, i'm sorry that's your this is your <laughs> no dialogue is important i i completely agree with you that the language of defund the police has gotten lost what i call lost yeah. in like like people are running with the definition and and what that could mean it terrifies communities to think yeah and they're not they're not hearing what what the real true message that's you know i don't i i think that that the concepts behind behind uh defund the police the concept of reallocating funding to other areas that are going to be more helpful to those communities mm-hmm. um, is good. Not the the idea of no police, that's not a good idea. But the idea of, of changing how the policing methods are done and changing how how we're allocating funds within communities. I mean, education is more important. After school programs are important. All of that stuff. And that is within the purview of what what is said in the messaging inside the defund the police 
uh, programs, like what, what you all were saying there, it's, it's there. It's just that the initial message, <laughs> nobody can seem to get past what it's saying initially. But I'm like, I, I understand where you're coming from with, hey, we've got to restructure this. We've been doing it for how many years? And it doesn't, it, all it's resulted in is, is uh, loss of life. It's resulted in, in a, a lot of distrust mm-hmm. towards, towards law enforcement. And that is not going to get better when we see things like like uh, January 6th happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I, every time I look at it, I'm like, okay. At some point, we've got to hear each other mm-hmm. and, and understand uh, the other person's side. You know, but uh, as far as we're concerned, How do you see today's fight for for social justice? Because it's different from I, I think it's different now from from the '60s. We we've got a different path mm-hmm. that we have to blaze. So, what do you, as one of the trailblazers, what do you what do you see ahead? The main thing that I realized from the history books, the difference in the history books and now, mm-hmm. same fight, is the fact that we are fighting during a global pandemic. I know. Our ancestors <clears throat> fought the, the very same fight, but with trying to stay within the CDC guidelines is something that I really, really pat myself on the back for. Having mass protests and- I pat you on the back for it too, because that could have been a super spreader event and it wasn't. And the data backed us up with that because people mm-hmm. wanted to say that Black Lives Matter spread COVID-19 with the protests when in fact we were safe. We were handing out masks. We were telling people to stand six feet apart. We were constantly making sure people had water and access to medical services if they needed it, volunteer Mm -hmm. EMTs, things like that. So the biggest thing was organizing a mass protest at a time that people wanted to hug each other. People wanted Mm -hmm. to take their mask off. They wanted to wipe each other's tears, you know, Mm -hmm. but we had communities to look out for. And so that was a pinnacle moment for me and realizing that, yes, this fight is the same fight, but there's a lot more at stake right now because Mm -hmm. these communities are further marginalized with being disproportionately represented in the healthcare system. Communities of color, data shows us. Uh, are more prone to catching COVID-19 because of sanitation or whatever it may be. Well, it's because of underlying conditions like diabetes and hypertension. That that's what's making us the most vulnerable to COVID-19 and COVID-19 is the, the uptick that we're, we're going to experience, you know, 46% of the people that are going into the hospital with COVID-19 are leaving with some stage of kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Kidney disease is, is uh, so difficult and such an expensive disease. Right now we spend nearly $5 billion, $4.8 billion in the state of Texas alone, just on dialysis every year. That is not the other parts of, of uh, kidney disease. So that's not stages one through three B. If you look at uh, 46% of the, the hospitalized COVID-19 population leaving with some form of kidney disease, over 70% of that 46% had no stage of kidney disease prior mm-hmm. prior to COVID-19. So think about that. We've had over 140, like I want to say Friday, as of Friday, over 149,000 uh people in recovery in San Antonio alone from Mm COVID-19. In the entire state of Texas right now, the dialysis population, I want to say it's like 64,000 people. Mm. So in San Antonio, if if those percentages hold up and 46% of the unhospitalized population has some stage of kidney disease, we could be looking at the worst health crisis 
we have ever seen in this nation. And it will be slamming African-American mm-hmm. and Latino populations. Right now in, in Texas, it's like three to one for both. For three to three to one for the, for the Hispanic population and three to one also for the uh, black population as opposed to their, their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. I mean, three times as likely. It's just when you look at that, it's like, okay, the pandemic itself could wipe us, wipe out a lot of people, a lot of people's lives. As we've seen, we've got over 400,000 people dead from COVID-19. And, uh, you know, as one of the reasons why we're Zoom calling right now is because I have COVID-19. I got, I was diagnosed with COVID-19 on, on, uh, um, New Year's Eve, and my husband got it. Both of my my kids, my eleven year old and eight year old, all with COVID. It has been, and and we can't figure out where because nobody on my husband's staff has it, nobody on my staff has it. Uh, so it must have been like a package or something that arrived or something like that. Uh, but when physically, what I've experienced is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and I haven't had a, a bad, uh, you know, the worst case of it. Now, my husband, I like, he, he had to have an antibody infusion. He literally could not walk across our bedroom. He couldn't walk across the room. Mm-hmm. He was so, and this is somebody who's been vigilant about his health our entire lives. I mean, you know, he's never been out of shape, overweight, you know, he's, he's, he's in good shape. And, uh, when he, you know, he had the flu before and then two weeks later got COVID-19 and it just, it, what it does also to the brain, because there's a brain fog that everybody talks about. And, and that is very real. You literally can feel a war happening in your body Mm -hmm. and only a person, you know, I'm a, I'm very much a mind over matter person. Like I power through all things. There, no, there is not anything that that I come up against that I don't conquer. And for me, as a person who who that is my ethos, uh, this brought me to my knees. I mean, there was literally one day where where my husband was so bad, his doctor was saying, "You got to take him to the emergency room." my daughter was breathing like an asthmatic and she's not asthmatic. And then the, the other, the oldest had 132 resting heart rate. No 11 year old has 132 heart rate, you know? So I walked downstairs and I can't breathe either. And I, and I stood there and and cried for about two minutes, you know, and then pull myself together (laughs) because I was just like, uh, I don't, this, this is not an option. The only option here is to get him to the emergency room, get, get them to, to, uh, physicians, figure out what we're going to do with each Smith <laughs> and, and, uh, power through this, you know, but when I, and we have insurance, we had a place to turn and our citizens don't, you know, which is why why we've been working at Texas Kidney Foundation, my day job, to uh, to make sure that that there is some place for us to for uh, for our communities to go. But in the middle of a health crisis, to have a crisis of conscience, which is part of what this social justice problem is, uh, is you know I don't I don't envy the Biden administration. <laughs> <laughs> and what they have to deal with uh and what you know but but I feel like Americans should be joining together this should not be a blue or a red issue it should be what are we going to do to fix this hot mess that we have going here uh in re- in relationship to race 
people should not be denigrated based on their race. Mm -hmm. And anybody who thinks that it's okay is wrong, wrong and ignorant and needs to, to get to the table so we can, we can uh, discuss uh, how to do better because it's not gonna, it's not gonna work with us being the way that we have been, mm -hmm. you know, black people have been very accommodating. I, I, I would say we're probably the most, uh, it's funny that we're always painted as, as being violent and angry when the reality is, is that we have consistently been, mm -hmm. uh, the most forgiving. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you're in the black community, you you'll know we're we're amongst the most forgiving people that you're ever going to meet we are we are the ones who who actually will go in and say i'm sorry or try to help somebody uh ex we extend the olive branch before anyone else we we are just that way and always have been. We rally around and help when there is something that's going wrong. You're a prime example of that. You, you saw a terrible injustice, and instead of just crying in your milk, you organized people and called the the whole city to action. And who would have who would have thought that one person could raise up a movement here in San Antonio? Right. And there were other people that wanted it to be violent and you were sticking with, no, we're going to walk down the road of nonviolence and get to where we want to get, mm -hmm. you know, because there is, there is strength in nonviolence. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are so many people that seem to think that the only way to show strength is like what we saw on January 6th. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. Because what you did was far stronger and better than what we saw there. It made much, it, it made a better statement and resonated with people more than the violence and, and uh, disrespect that was shown by the insurrectionists. Yes. So much, so much relied. I don't want to speak for the entire black community, but I feel like often, I feel like our narrative is written for us so much by the media, by other people, how we feel, who we are, how we interact. Mm -hmm. And, and so, like we're one. It, right. You know, there, if you get 20 people who are black in a room, you got 20 different opinions mm -hmm. on the same subject. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with any ethnic group with, with 20 Latinos. It's the same thing with 20 white people. We are all, every single human being is different. different. So why we, why people want to pigeonhole what it is to be black into one thing. It's, it's this one thing. No, you know, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I refuse to accept that to be black is for us to be judged by the lowest common denominator within our community. And then somebody wants to pull that out and say, oh, this is what all black people are. Like, I don't think so. Mm -mm. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis? or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office, for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening, 
or go to a screening near you. So when you look at at, uh, the Biden administration and the first hundred days, what do you want to see happen for social justice in the first hundred days? Because I see they're trying to like make things diverse in their uh, in, in their cabinet, but beyond a diverse cabinet, what do you want to see happen in the first hundred days? I want to see the conversation about student debt alleviation uh, mm. take place. I really enjoy that conversation. I think it should happen. Um, I also want to see land back. Native folk have been robbed of their resources and their land. Um, and so I would really like to see that. I would like to see the conversation about climate uh, definitely pivot a bit more. We, I, we, not we, not I, not my administration, but the prior administration really neglected <laughs> green crisis, which is something we're going through. So I would really like to see that also become a conversation. But most importantly, I, I don't want for folks who are listening, I don't want us to catch this saviorism idea about the current administration. Yes, we need a change. Yes, uh, it's great that this country came together to vote for a different administration, but the work still needs to get done. And Mm -hmm. we cannot keep um, sensationalizing politicians because they are elected for our future and for the work of this country. So if we see democracy that way, I think that we can get a lot further than we already have. For sure. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, when I look at today's fight for social justice, it's different from, you know, beyond, besides the pandemic, uh, you know, because I feel like the pandemic has kind of un- unveiled the the unhealthy nature of our our population, and it's it's really shown the the problems within the healthcare system. You know, mm-hmm. the healthcare system is is really being overwhelmed right now mm-hmm. uh, because of the the pandemic, because of the the uh, sheer numbers we're seeing of people who are getting sick. So when we look at social justice, you know, there are so many things that that are intertwined in that. Like Black Lives Matter is just one little piece of the puzzle. We still have uh, issues with transportation, food deserts, Mm -hmm. uh, economic empowerment. We just lost 41% of the... uh, uh, small black businesses closed mm-hmm. during this pandemic. They just closed because they, you can't sustain yourself, you know, when there there is no revenue coming in. So when we're when we're looking at that, uh, you know, I I see the opportunity to have a rebirth and a rebuilding of, of, you know, when we're writing some of those social injustices that have been done, one of them, like if you, if you look at the city of, of San Antonio in the, on the east side, when the freeways came through the east side, that, that, that changed the business district there and really uh, just took business away. Businesses were were decimated on the east side um to see rebuilding in areas like that because there are, are great programs like sage that are that are there you know and understand and just in the trenches making sure that that uh that the programs that that our our community is being uh rejuvenated and regenerated but in a time like this, with with such a difficult, such a difficult battle to that we're waging against a you know a micros- microscopic predator like COVID nineteen, at the same time it's 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 permeating all areas of our our community. You know how do you 
what would you say would be first steps uh, to get to where we want to go? First steps. So this goes back to accountability and the performance of local elected uh, city officials. It's ridiculous to say, I'm here community to listen to you one week and neglect that energy another uh, or a month later. So it really starts at the boots on the ground. Right. Boots Mm -hmm. on the ground. These elected city officials, I would love to see them get to know their constituents more. I would Mm -hmm. love to see them use COVID-19 as less of a excuse to really get out there besides a food bank opportunity where they can shake a hand and kiss a baby and pass out, you know, a resource that quite literally the city are inciting the people to have to go forth because we're in a housing crisis currently right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the domino effect, paying attention to that consistency is really the key. Uh, But I also really urge communities to stay on local city, local elected officials as well. Like uh, public comment for city council, that's always an option to speak up about your district and what affects you. Um, It seems like a roundabout process, but it really matters in the end. And I would highly recommend that. I'd love to see some of that CARES Act money uh, um, come to San Antonio for mm-hmm. rental assistance and utility assistance because we've got a, you know, every time people say, "Oh, there's such a low cost of living," it's in in San Antonio. There's a low cost of living in in Texas. That means we're paying people less, yeah, than any place else. Mm-hmm. And uh, the low cost of living means that they're that much closer to uh, desperately needing some help. You know, they're they're that one paycheck away from uh, being booted out of their home. Right. So um, this first 100 days is going to be a busy, difficult 100 days. Mm-hmm. It already is. Um, tell me what, in terms of the two Americas that we saw on the, the six, what do you envision for us? Like, how can we push past all of that? Cause I already see people trying to make, trying to stop something like that from ever happening again. Looking at, and as cliche as this might sound, looking it right in the face, these people were not of the poor white class. These were doctors. These were law enforcement. These were realtors from around the country, like Mm -hmm. professionals. And this really spoke to us about how white supremacy blends in, how violence blends in to the healthcare Mm -hmm. system and things like that. So, Staring this right in the face for what it is, the fact that we have, this nation has been infiltrated by the agenda of white supremacy. Having these conversations is really the best way. I wish I had a crystal ball. I really do. Um, I wish I did because there's so much damage to repair. Nonetheless, I'm optimistic about the next four years. I'm optimistic about the future to come. The vaccinations just came out for COVID-19. Uh, That's further than where we were five months ago. Um, George Floyd really put a fire in the fight. It ignited Mm -hmm. a fire that was already there. Embers that were burning, I guess you could say. Um, And this conversation is still ongoing and it's important Mm -hmm. to have. Uh, But most importantly, we have to stand together as a country stronger now more than ever. Because sadly, what happened at the Capitol also showed us showed weakness internationally, right? For for mm-hmm. forces that are working against us, the United States looks vulnerable. We look like we don't have our ish together and that's not good, uh, mm-hmm. but we do, we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I say what I, you know, have said time and time again, the power is in the people. You can have a constitution, you can have an oath, you can have all these, all of these things, but none of that matters and is upheld without the people. And so wherever the people are is where I'll be. Oh, I love that. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and my special guest, Camille Factory. Thank you, Camille. Thank you for starting 
your business. Thank you for for organizing the first uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protest, peaceful protest here in San Antonio, and just sticking with it because the Black Freedom Factory is. I, I see great things coming. I see great things ahead for the Black Freedom Factory. And I love the name. <laughs> My last name. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, thank you for just being a voice for the discrepancies in the healthcare system. It means a lot. So thank you. All right. Okay. You've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And that's a wrap for today. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you.